Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Rio de Janeiro, Boyce Gracie. Now what Boyce is going to do is try to get Gerard to raise his neck. This is a major part of fighting. This People do not understand. That is the power of jiu-jitsu and This is the Believe in MMA Mavericks podcast. Featuring your hosts, Mike Straka and Ike Feldman. You know, we, we sent it out there and we said, we're in. Oh, there's Hedzo Gracie. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Stop talking shit about jujitsu. <laughs> oh, Hedzo <laughs> Gracie. <laughs> well, he's coughing. That's not good. <laughs> 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 I can cough, I can sneeze, I can do everything. I can pick on my nose. No problem. How's everything, Mike? Miss you, brother. I miss you too, Mr. Gracie. Like, you are the man, Puha. How's life is treating you, man? Well, do you, you want to know the truth? You want to know the lie? The lie is, I'm doing great, Henzo. Brother, that's the truth and you don't know it. Understand one thing, we were born naked and toothless. We are dressed with a mouthful of teeth. We are ahead of the game by far. And to be honest, I heard some motherfucker actually hit me on the ass to make me cry when I was born. So <laughs> I'm much better now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Henzo, you're on. Philosophical, this. Yeah, this is uh, Mike. Go for it. Go for it. Well, Henzo, you're on with Ike Feldman. He's my co-host on my new podcast. And Great Matt, to meet you, my brother. And and Mike Arata. He's also uh, you probably know Mike Arata. He he's a bodybuilder and he he he's a great guy. Uh, Mike Arata, say hello to Henzo Gracie. How you doing, Henzo? I got a special message for you from David Palladino. He says hello. Ah, he's the best. He is. The, I love that guy. I love him. I was oh. just on the phone with him last night. He says hello. Now, Madlab. Give him a big hug back. Madlab, have you done jujitsu? Oh, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. If he's friends with Paladino, he did. Believe it. Awesome, yeah, awesome. I've known Dave for he, 20 years. Yeah, Paladino was one of my first students when I came to New York, when I came to New York. You know? Yeah, he speaks very, very highly of you. Oh, very special soul. Very special soul. So, Henzo. How, how how do you cope with this current COVID-19 pandemic when you have 300 students every month in your school? Like, what are you doing? Actually, it's not 300. My lucky, it's 1,500. Jesus. On the main school. Yeah. So that saved me. A lot of the guys didn't cancel the membership. So we were able to cover all the expenses and take care of all the employees. So I paid everybody in full, all my employees, everybody that works at the academy is receiving full payment and everything is working unbelievable. Thanks to them, you know? And it's a funny thing because I just got a few messages. I, the other day I got a message going, Hanzo, look, I'm, I'm just letting you know, it doesn't matter how long this lasts, I'll pay every month. Because when I didn't have money to train, you let me train a year for free. <laughs> and it's funny, I could not even remember he goes, and you did, I saw you doing this for a lot of people. And by being one of them, I'm happy that I can afford now to cover the, when you're going through a hard time, you know? 
So it's brother, you give, life gives you back. It's always like this. It's you true. Know? I mean, I, I trained for free for years in your academy because of you. And I, I, and I appreciate that so much. You didn't have that many white hair. Huh? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I remember. Look at this team, and I don't understand. Yeah. Still everything black. I don't have one gray hair. You know why, Henzo? <laughs> it's because your mentality and your psychology, man. I believe so. I believe that's the only difference that I see from other people. You know? Let me explain to you how I see life. You're going you're gonna to hear people say, oh, you can see a glass half full, a glass half empty, and how you see it depends. I was learning to fly hang gliding. I was doing hang gliding. And that was my first flight from the hill. It was a short. It was a flight of a minute and a half. Mohochi, the name. When you learn, you first learn on this smaller hill. And you take off for like a minute, a minute and a half, which on that hang glide is like an eternity. And then you land in a, in a big field, a grass field, everything green. In the middle of the field, there's two, there is two, two tracks. It's from the trucks. The trucks go in the same way and they come back. And I, I look at the trucks and there's only one tree on the whole field. Huge field with a huge green field with only one tree. So my instructor is telling me, look, you're going to land where the tire tracks are. I said, okay. But be careful if you, I don't know how the condition of the wind, if you get in here to the tree, push to the side. My head, you can tell me whatever you eat. I only do what I think I should do. Yeah. So immediately I think there's a huge green field. And there's only one Initially. thing. And the tire track takes me directly to the tree. And he's telling me to go on the tire track. I said, no problem, no problem on the green, on, on the tire track. I'm going to land there. When I, boom, when I jump, I flew. As I'm going to land, I push to the right. I said, boy, there's a possibility that I get near. He goes, I don't believe you're going to get near to the tree, but if you feel you're getting near, move to the right. As I'm landing, I wasn't near the tree, but I said, boy, man, I move away already from the tree. So the only accident that could happen is me hitting that tree. <laughs> Everything perfect. I go to land, I push the, the hang gliding up, when my feet touched the ground, I sunk. I sunk all the way to here. Oh, shit. I, you know, no, but you just said it. You know what the water was? It was shit. <laughs> it was shit. <laughs> what happened? That's where every city truck that collect the sewage trucks that's why the mark of the tracks, they would go in, drop the shit on the, on the, on the land, and they back up and leave. And it was so much shit, literally. And not, it was dog shit, a cat shit wouldn't bother me that much, but it was human shit. Oh, <laughs> so I sunk to the point that the, the shit touched my chin. And I couldn't move, I was stuck. Half was coming, my brother Half was coming right after me, right? Half lands on the tire mark. He gets out of the thing, and I'm stuck in there, and I go, Half, Half, <laughs> give me a hand. He, he looked, 
he's like a three meters from me, like 90 feet from me. He looks at me, he goes, the guy told you to land here. Why did you land there? I go, man, help me up. Pull me up. I'm sick and I can't get. It's, it's shit. I'm not touching you. <laughs> no, I'm not helping you. I said, half I'm sinking. And, and the thing was already here, like this. I was just, and they, I go, half, understand one thing. We are riding one car, your car. If you don't help me, I won't clean myself before I get inside your car. <laughs> <laughs> then he goes, looking for that perspective, I'll give you a hand. <laughs> so then he pulled me out. Uh, but I remember we are laughing the whole way. Imagine you sink into shit up to here and you're still joking, laughing, and happy. What happened was I was in my head, I go, thank God you didn't touch my mouth. Well, while the other people would think, oh, I, I step on shit. Right. Thank God I didn't eat shit. Enzo. <laughs> Enzo. Yeah. I will never forget the time you pulled up to Madison. No, uh, hold on, hold on. What's the lesson, though? What's the lesson? What's the lesson? Life is how you see it. You know, it's not this bullshit of a half a glass empty. Half a... My brother, happiness is inside you. It doesn't matter your situation. You can bring a smile to others and to yourself. You are happy, man. You know? Awesome. Hands up. Remember when you pulled up to the Meadowlands and the state police asked you if you. <laughs> what you were doing and you said i don't need a bodyguard thank you very much i'm okay actually actually i had a i had a i had an rv i was driving an rv so they gave me the, the hotel where everybody was staying so i drove the hotel right at the front door and i parked as i'm parking the police came what are you doing i said don't worry don't worry i don't need a bodyguard i'm fine <laughs> and they stop oh, oh, oh. and then by chance, one person come here, let me have a picture with you. Took a picture. I say, and then I go, oh, okay, don't worry. They put the cowards there for the whole weekend during the fights. <laughs> <laughs> that was the same weekend you choked out Pat Militich. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I gave him some love. <laughs> <laughs> you know, man. great guy. What people don't He's know. A great guy. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He is. Pat Militich was one of the first guys that I taught Jiu-Jitsu when I came to America. I went to Chicago to do a seminar, and it was Pat Militich with his whole crew there. And I could see the talent on him, and I said, this guy is going to be... And then later, a year later, I came back, he was already fighting, and he looked like a Jiu-Jitsu guy. He was beating everybody, submitting everybody. Amazing, amazing. Wait, you taught Pat Militich? Yes, yes. I did not know his that. Yeah, his first Jiu-Jitsu lesson actually was... I, I was the one who did it. I did that. Yeah. What are you, uh, wow. What's your thoughts on the, uh, the previous generation's jiu-jitsu uh, incorporated into mixed martial arts and what it, compared to what you see today? What's, uh, what have you seen in the evolution? What I see today, we create spoiled brats. What they say is, well, you know, rich parents. <laughs> well, you spoil brats. They're going to spend everything and, and be broke. And then the next generation will be better. What happened was with Jiu-Jitsu becoming so popular and growing so much, it's, uh, it, it, it became a must everywhere in the world. So today those kids, they don't need to fight. 
they, like I grew up, I couldn't make a dime out of Jiu-Jitsu. So in my head, I say, I'm going to be a professional fighter. You have to understand, I, my whole life, I was 145 pounds. When I began fighting, I was 145 pounds. When I thought that I was huge, I was 155 pounds. <laughs> I thought that I could. Today, I look and say, I was crazy. I say, I can beat anybody in the world. I'm bigger and stronger than anybody. I was 155. You know? I, I remember they used to put the guys to fight me in Japan. And the, the agreement was the guy had to be up to 205. You know, I come in, I wake myself in at 160, 155. And then the, the scale was always facing the wall. The guy would stand up. The guy look and read in Japanese, 205. <laughs> I go, Man, this guy is a big 205. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hento. So the same guy, that I, this guy that I'm talking about, I fought him in Abu Dhabi on the Abu Dhabi competition. Wow. Where he actually had to wait in 205. I, I get to the arena, the guy looks at me and goes, hey, Hanzo, how you doing? I say, hey, how you doing, champ? And then he comes, hugs me, talks to me like he knows me. And I go, where do I know this guy from? I couldn't recognize him at 205. Oh, shit. I couldn't. He took me. Then they say, who's this guy? And I goes, that's the guy that you fought. It's a Nike Kuta. I say, shit. Literally, shit. He was so scared. And then I fought him again. Oh, you know? Henzo, yeah, tell, tell us about the time Oleg Takarov had dinner with you the night before you knocked him out. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened with Oleg? The funniest thing was when I came to fight Oleg, he didn't know who I was, actually. Oleg was very cocky. and So we go to get into the elevator together, and it's me, my second man. No, no, no I'm sorry. Not Oleg knew it. Oleg knew it. The guys from World Combat didn't know it, you know. But with Oleg, Oleg was always very cocky, and he just came from a fight with Marcus Hoover, who was huge, you know. He was beating everybody in the UFC, doing they fought in Brazil, I believe. So then he came. He looked at me, and then he goes, you're too small. Like I say, I know I look small, but you have to see the size of my heart, I said to him. You won't believe it. I want to see you make me quit. And he goes, I thought I was fighting a grown-up. And actually, I'm going to go out to, to a strip club to have a beer, smoke a joint, oh and relax. God. I go, I would give him advice. Don't do that. Otherwise, tomorrow, I'm going to have chicken for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the, the funniest thing, all the Russians laugh. Oleg was, what? They look at them, they all stop, you know? <laughs> he was the one, the only one who didn't laugh, and he look at everybody, make everybody stop. But on the same having he had chicken for dinner then tomorrow, so do that. Go concentrate and think so he can give you a good fight. Amazing. You know? I mean, Henzo, yeah. well, wait, with wait, the wait, 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 hold on, Ike. Do you know that the fight that he's talking about? He knocked out Oleg Taktorov with an up kick, and then followed up with two straight rights to his fucking jaw. I broke, was, yeah, I broke my hand on that one. Six months to get better. He's gonna <laughs> regret that then, lap dance forever. That was yes. There was no. There was no. Uh, no glove back then. It was bare knuckle, you know. Oh shit! What's uh? What's your thought on the bare knuckle scene? Uh, we got a guy, uh, Mad Lab, who's studied uh, bare knuckle 
for years and uh, I've heard different philosophies that it, it's not good because too much scar tissue or that it is good because then they're not like Chuck Liddell throwing these bombs with like... Yeah, the, the, yeah because what, what happened in reality, without a glove, you got to be careful. If you land a punch in a forehead or... I remember when I was fighting BJ and I knew he liked to... When he threw a punch, I put my forehead on it. And I remember his face like... ah. <laughs> you know, that was the first punch that he landed. <laughs> so it's 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 a different fight. It's like I actually act I actually think it's a much more technical fight, you know. But at the same time they create a sport that is the MMA today and uh, it's difficult to change. It's very you know, very difficult to make no gloves. People see there's gonna be much more blood that is cut when there's no gloves. So people see much more blood and they I think they would rather have you with brain damage, then see a little bit of your crowd pouring out, a little bit of your blood pouring out. You know what? You speaking of BJ Henzo, when you when you went to UFC 112 and you lost the fight to Matt Hughes, uh, Frankie Edgar beat BJ, like, and Frankie's one of your students. Like, did that? How did that feel for you? Oh, it was unbelievable. We, we actually we had uh, George St. Pierre that fought BJ too. I had Paul Creighton from Chicago who fought BJ. BJ was an amazing opponent and unbelievable jiu-jitsu guy, you know. And uh, it was always an honor, man. It's always an honor to step in there and to do it. And, and if we, ca we came out successful, it was great. You know, I got my ass kicked, but uh, he couldn't finish me. And first round, I completely dominated. And I love his book when he says, uh, when he says, uh, I thought I was going to intimidate. Hans was on his 40, almost 40. I think I was 40 and I was, he was in his prime. And then he thought he was going to, when he looked at my eye on the waiting, he goes, this guy's not afraid. What people don't understand, I could never fear a fight. You know, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I love it. If I could, I would have someone right at my front door here. I'll get out, fight him, come back, go back to sleep. Because I feel after like I didn't have it, you know? And I think it's a learning process. It's, it's like 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 you go work in your questions and your how to interview someone. And this is my work, you know. If I, I always say, if you're afraid to take a shit, you shouldn't eat. <laughs> I love it, man. If, it, if it, this is what I eat, how can I, how can I be afraid of, you know, stepping in there? Every time I step in there, I feel better. I feel I'm a better human being. I'm a better man. I'm a better, I'm a better teacher for my, for the future generation of my family, you know? This, I, I want to ask, man, like, where does this, uh, the Gracie philosophy, like, or the Brazilian philosophy, all you guys are laid back, you guys can have a drink, but you also could kill somebody if they, like, try to, if you have to defend yourself. Where does the, the like, mentality of the philosophy come I, from? I, I believe uh, this all began with my grandfather, Carlos Gracie. He was the older brother of the first generation. And... We, we, we always, he always preached to us and he always taught us that our life was jujitsu. I remember I was sitting at the table with him and I, you know, Grandpa, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a lawyer. I'm going to study. I'm going to go now to a law school. And he goes, why are you doing that? And then I go, oh, no, because I don't see how to make money in jujitsu. Back then you couldn't make a dime in jujitsu, you know? And that's what I was talking before. The new generation, they, they travel the whole world. They make a fortune. They don't need to fight. There's no need for them to, to step in the ring and, and become professional. 
They, they're amateurs and they teach their whole life. And now they are like 35, 36 years old. They never had an MMA fight. Very rare ones are the ones who leave and go to MMA, you know, because they, they, they travel the whole Europe doing seminars. They finish the, 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 the trip with 50,000, 60,000 euros on their pocket. Wow. And that can support them for the whole year. And then they travel somewhere else. They come to America. They go Asia. They go everywhere. I look today, I follow on Instagram, all the champions of Jiu-Jitsu. They, they're making a fortune everywhere in the globe. You know, they go anywhere. They teach seminars and they teach classes. And they go teach private. So I see Gordon Ryan, one of my guys. He, private class. $1,500. So you ask. $1,000. I gave 300 to my mom, 300 to my dad, 300 I kept, 100 I gave to Haya, my brother. Wow. So that's where the first $1,000 that I made on my first fight went. You know, so but these kids, yes. Uh, you got you got guys like Mike Swick who who runs uh, AKA in Thailand. Um, the Thailand scene is pretty impressive when it comes to guys can go out and train and not have to work a second job in Thailand. And Mike Swick has this beautiful gym in Phuket, Thailand. Have you ever been in Thailand to train? No, I never been there. I never been there. I heard great things about. I'm, I was planning to actually. Be in Bali now and be traveling everywhere there. And I, I didn't have a chance. I'm, I've been so busy. You know, it's, I've been opening schools in New York. doing. But I want to spend three months on that area because I heard so many great things well, about you ha- it. You have to go see Mike Swick. You know who Mike Swick yeah. is, right? I love him, of course. I love Mike's him a great guy. And, and he's got a great school. Guy. Great school in Thailand and Phuket on the beach. Yeah. And people train and... I hear, I'm not sure, but I hear you can you can live for like $30 a month in Thailand. Yeah, it's very, very cheap there, you know, very cheap. I've been, I, I, I went everywhere around there, but I didn't go to Phuket or Thailand. When the guys went, we were in Singapore, and everybody went to Phuket, I couldn't go. I had, I had to teach and I had to do some stuff. I couldn't make it. But everybody came back after a weekend, like in love with the place. So, Hezo, what, what are you doing right now? this minute where you know during this pandemic uh how are you surviving and 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 who who who's under your belt right now man i'm here with my whole family my grandson i play with my grandson the whole day and i'm surprised he didn't wake me up today at six o'clock in the morning to go jump in the trampoline outside <laughs> i have a gym at home i have mats at home this week my brother was here with me training uh, my younger brother hobson he was here for a few days. We were training every day together. Hobson? You know? Yeah, yeah. He was here. He just uh, he left back to New York. Well, Mad Lab, Mad Lab, are you, are you still working out? Yeah, man. But like I said, I'm doing a lot of alternative home workouts. You know, a lot of band work. Just anything I can find in my house that's sturdy enough to hold my body weight. Going outside, trying to get into some parks. They got the parks taped up, so I'm like running under the ropes in the park jumping on jungle gyms, basically whatever I can do, you know, that's basically all you can do. Wait, Mike, how old are you? Uh, 42. All right. So you're still training. He's just, just a kid. Bro. Yeah. Heads just a kid. What are you, oh, heads are you like 55 now? 53. At, at, at 42, I, 
You look great. 50, brother, at, 50, at 42, you could still smell my diapers on me. The smell of my diapers. <laughs> I wish I could say that. Enzo, you know, Dave, uh, Dave is opening up inside his gym. He's doing construction right now on a, a beautiful Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, room inside his gym that should be done right after really? the pandemic is over. Oh, man, that's beautiful. It's beautiful to hear that. Man, I love Dave. He's the best. Have you, ever, most, have you been I to his remember. facility? Have you ever I've been, been to, to, the, his, his... to the current one? Yes, yes, I've been there. I've been there with him. Yeah. yeah. So that wrestling room, that arrest, the, the little wrestling arena that he has, he's turning that into uh -huh. a powerlifting area. And then the back room where the courts are, he's making a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu studio. Ah, uh, man, that's nice. What amazing show that guy is, man. It's amazing. I want to come to visit. Right after that, I'm coming to visit him. I want to see that room for sure. You think uh, yeah, also, fighting yeah. or martial arts could take over? Like, I have this whole philosophy, call it something else. It's like, I think uh, <laughs> fighting or MMA could be bigger than soccer. I believe so. I believe so. I believe there were some technical mistakes done by the people who actually own the martial MMA today, the, the events. You know, there was a few, what people don't realize, they try why uh, Conor McGregor was such a success. You know, why he was able to bring so much money. Because he is the star. You know, what people don't understand, all the people that own the company, they only promote, they only talk about their own companies. It's, you don't call, you don't go watch Mike Tyson fight because he's fighting IBF or International Boxing Federation. Or, you know, you go to watch because it's Mike Tyson. So what they, they have to understand is why UFC became so big after the Ultimate Fighter. Because people began to know the fighters. And then they begin to get associated with the fighters. And they go, and you have to understand one thing. Some people, it doesn't matter how nice you are, some people are going to love you, some people are going to hate you. It doesn't matter what. There's people that in Machiavelli, the prince, the book, he, he mentioned that. It doesn't matter how good you try to do to a people, some, some people are going to have to chop their head because they will never be on your side. So if you want to be a king, you have, you have to know that some people you have to kill it because otherwise you won't be able to manage. They will be, it doesn't matter what you do, what you give to them, they'll be against you. And it's true. So people identify themselves with the fighter. And they never realize that, and they never promote the fighters because they always, every time they promote the fighter, the fighter gets bigger, they need to pay more. But what they don't understand, by paying more, you're getting a better professional and you're making more at the same time. You know, why now they want a Khabib to fight and they can't afford it? Look at now. Khabib was supposed to do this fight, but they cannot afford it right now. They need an open show. They need the sponsors to be able to pay him now, you know? So all the mistakes that they did is reflecting now on their asses. That's the truth, you know? When they should have created, look, I went to watch, I went to watch uh, 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 WWE, the pro wrestling. I actually, one of my, my great brothers, one of the guys that trained me is the son of Shane, Mc, uh, it's Shane McMahon. Oh, wow. The son of Vince McMahon. Yep. And that guy, they have a mentality that is beyond comprehension, how they can see business and how they can see 
fighting. And he always look at me, he goes, Hanzo, how did you so poorly manage this? Why, if I, you have to understand one thing, imagine to create, we need to create drama, we need to create problems, because it's a fake fight that we sell it. UFC or all the, all the other fighting companies, they don't need that because it's a real fight. When they talk, they're honest. When they, but instead of promoting the fighters, so then I went to see the shows of WWE. And I was in awe. And then I saw why Pride was so successful in Japan. Pride was an exactly copy of what WWE is. You know? WWE was recently in New York for three days. They had three shows. My friend, you couldn't walk one street in Manhattan without seeing a WWE shirt, t-shirt. The whole weekend I was there, I would see those t-shirts everywhere I went. And they had sold out the three arenas. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know? And I, and I, I keep wondering, I say, when MMA will be able to do that? You know? They're doing something wrong to not be able to bring the fans into this. And that's the reality, you know? They don't know how to promote the fighters. It's like, ask me how many shows, I, I, and I'm a professional of this business, how many shows of the, the, the UFC on Fox I watch it? Zero. Wow. Just... There was only people that I didn't know who that was. I, did, I look, I said, this show sucks. And then I, later I found out the, 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 the Fox UFCs never made one dime. They lost money on every show they did. You know? Wow. That's why Fox, after the contract was over in seven years, get rid of them immediately. If they had good numbers, you know, and that way I think was the biggest scene was their one. They had the TV for seven years, the free TV that they could have create amazing heroes. And that would allow them to replenish constantly the, the, the number of fighters, the number of people participating, the number of heroes. I, 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 there was a show, a WWE show, in, in, on the Dallas Stadium a few years back, I believe. There was 110,000 people. On that show, there was a match that The Rock came to do it. You know how much the Rock charged? Zero. 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 Really? You know what the Rock said? Yeah. Wow. It's time for me to give back to this amazing company who made me. So it's like you look from WWE, the amount of heroes that came out. Yep. People that you're going to age and you're going to remember them. I like the word that you say, heroes. Yes. They are heroes, man. Because it's like it... people go, it's, it's fake fight, my brother. Anything, any to me, Mike is a hero, a guy who's working this hard on this industry that is extremely difficult to make money and is promoting fighting, promoting to bringing people to fight. He's my hero. Thank you. It's like what well, the job that he's doing is amazing, you know, to get me out of bed in the middle of this pandemic <laughs> to talk here. Believe, believe, I have 100 people asking me to do a live with them right now. And I don't do it. I won't do it. I would rather be playing, making fun of my grandson right there <laughs> and joking about and you know, 
that's the reality. Enzo, you've always yeah, been mean, you've always been my hero, man. Always. It's a pleasure, brother. It's a pleasure. So the reality. Enzo, people like him. Like you don't understand. Like I love you, man. I no homo. I freaking love you <laughs> so much. That was a little game, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you too, my brother. I miss you around here. Man. I miss you too, yeah, man. Yeah. I was now finally, I get you. I get your new number. We're gonna be able to get in touch. And so he's, he's not wearing pants. He's not I was driving. No, I was driving. Don't get up, motherfucker! Please. Hezo, <laughs> <laughs> I was driving in the parkway going north. And I passed your exit and I said to myself, man, Henzo lives right over there. I just want to go see Henzo Gracie. <laughs> hey, my brother, anytime, come knock at the door. At any time of the day or night, you're welcome. Okay, okay. You have a room here. Boy. You have a guest I, room here. Oh, thank God. I love you so much. Pleasure, like, pleasure, bro. Well, thank you for coming on the show, man. We we appreciate it. Thank you, Can guys. I squeeze thank in one you, more? No. Yes, go ahead, brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, Henzo's in go charge. Ahead, Enzo, uh, I'm sure you've uh, tuned into the Joe Rogan experience, but he always says that the most important tool for any MMA fighter to start their career is wrestling. And I recently heard somebody repeat this because Rogan's a big, big voice. Somebody repeated it's this true. at a jujitsu gym. Somebody said, you need wrestling to start. I go wrong. Like I'm doing like the row machine to warm up. And I'm like, you're wrong. I go jujitsu. Look at the logic. If a wrestler takes down a fighter, they're on their back. Jiu-Jitsu would you see, win. You see, I believe uh, in 1978, my uncle, who was my teacher, Horace Gracie, the one who died flying hang gliding, he brought wrestling to, to our family and to Rio. He was the first instructor of wrestling in Rio, and he began teaching. And I remember everything that could make Jiu-Jitsu better is helpful. I love wrestling. I love, I'm a black belt in judo, you know. I wish uh, back then I could have trained a little karate too. I love the way that they walk, the way that they move to hit and the kick, you know. And I believe anything that you can incorporate to jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is the one that you can do for longest. Like all the wrestler coaches that I had, they, their knees is broke. The little guys that I that show bad shoulders, bad elbows, bad knees, the injuries that are, the serious injuries that I had on the sport was actually doing judo. Judo was the hardest thing in my body I have ever seen in my life, you know? And I was state champion and I was trying to be national champion in judo. I trained a lot. I had an amazing teacher, amazing from amazing uh, uh, school, you know? And But at the same time, I see jiu-jitsu, like you can do jiu-jitsu when you're nine years old. I actually have a, a shooter that he's almost 80 and he goes there he comes in with a, carrying a little, like a, like a, you know, those traveling uh, bags that you have wheels. Mm -hmm. yep. So he comes with those. I say, why don't you carry your, your gear in your back? Why don't you get a backpack instead of carrying on this, on this crap? And he goes, hell, I come from four hours and a half away. So if I carry my gear here, I will get here. I will be able to trade. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I say, come over here with me. I didn't know that. Come here. We went to the front desk. I say cancel, cancel his, his he never he will never pay jiu-jitsu again. Wow. From now on, jiu-jitsu free for you for life. You know? And he's still there with me training every time. Wow. That's amazing. So, You're like, this motherfucker won't die. <laughs> I hope he will never die. Okay. <laughs> Enzo, I have to ask you I have to ask you a question 
uh, that uh -huh. has, has never been answered because even the person you called will never divulge what you told him. But I need to know, what did you tell Chael Sonnen when you called him up when he was in the midst of, of promoting the, uh, the Anderson Silva fight, when he was talking about yeah. Brazil? Yeah, what, what happened was, I, I, because I, I read the news in Brazil, so I was seeing such a huge campaign against him, you know, painting him like he was a, a, a monster. And I knew, I knew Kale Sonny when he was a kid fighting in Japan. You know, I'm much older than him. And, and I know the amazing soul that Kale Sonny is. You know, so I call him and I say, Kale, it's okay to promote a fight like this, but you, 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 you're not allowing, allowing them to see the amazing soul that you are, the amazing human being that you are. You're not allowing them to see the real chaos story. When you do this, it's okay to sell fights, but you are not letting them see you, which is a much better product than the one that you are selling. And then he stopped. Chaos story, for you to have an idea, at one time, I was telling him the stories of me and my son in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in Japan. We were in Japan. He was fighting. Uh, uh, Joe Darcy was fighting. I was there. It was a punk craze event. So I was telling him stories about my son. Ten years later, I go into a restaurant. I was having dinner with, uh, with the Bourdain family in a Las Vegas restaurant. You know, and when I... When I passed by, Kale was sitting down. I stopped, I gave him a hug. I said, man, nice to see you. Then I sat on the table there with the Bourdain family and all the guys from New York that were there watching the, was a UFC. So Kale gets up and leaves. Boom, you know? And then we stay because we arrived. He was finishing his dinner. We stay for like two hours, two hours sitting down. You know, eating, joking, drinking, laughing. We are like 10 people on the table. After two hours, Kale came back in. Then he came back in and he came to me and goes, Hansel, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I came here just to say goodbye. I was waiting outside for, uh, for you to finish, but I really have to go now. So I came to, to, to say that it was a pleasure to see you and, and to say goodbye. And then he looks at my son, he goes, and you are Huran, right? And my son, yes. Your father told me all the stories about you, told me this, 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 this. So this shows that, you know, the, the amazing soul that he is. Yeah. And the people couldn't see. UFC could not pitch their side, you know? And my son was surprised. My son was a big fan of Kale, and he was, oh. And he goes, ah, you used to do this when you were little. <laughs> you used to, you like to fight swords. And, your father told me all the stories. And, and so he actually waited outside for two hours. And then he had he really had to leave. He was waiting for me to finish so he could say goodbye. You know? Wow. So this is how amazing that guy is. And people don't realize. And that's, no. you know, that's the power realize. of money. That's the power of promotion. Oh, yeah, my goodness. You know? And they should have sold the real Kill Summit. You know, an amazing soul, an extremely smart guy. Believe it, they will have made the double. The same Look thing. what they did. The worst is what they did to Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar was an amazing. Brock Lesnar brought the biggest pay-per-views over there. 
And they all they planned was how we beat him. When they should actually make his life a little easier and let him shine. Because he was a star. But every time that he shined, it bothers them. It was, a, it was a crazy thing. You know? And it cost them. It's costing them now. You know? It's like you ask me, how is my situation with my academy? I can be closed for six months. It won't bother me. What I see now, why am I smiling? I can be closed for six months. All my employees will get their check in the end of the month. You know, the guy who rents me the location will get his check. You know, even if I end up penniless, I'm going to be faithful to this because these people work with me. They are on my side. They trust me when they come to work and I trust them. And I, you know, and I want to make sure that we're not going, I'm, it's, I'm not firing them in a moment like this. I remember one time I'm, I was here. The I, I came home, the IRS was sitting here. And then they go to me, oh, Mr. Gracie, why you didn't pay? That was 2008. It was 2008, 2009, 2010. I was four years late on my tax. Why you didn't pay your taxes? I say, because I'm more American than you. <laughs> and they, they look at me, I say, uh, I say, because I knew my obligation. I couldn't fire. It was this problem. And then I explained, it was the problem of the economy went down, 2000, everybody broke, nobody had money. I let a lot of people train for free. I helped everybody and I tried, but I, I made sure that even though I sacrificed every penny I had, I couldn't save a dime. I say, if I had to pay you then, I, I, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't be allowed to, to, to eat. So I hold it, but believe it, every debt I have, I pay. So you're going to get your money. So let's sit down here, see how I pay you, how I do to pay you. In the end, in the end, the woman was a woman. And I remember my wife trying to, she goes, honey, listen to your husband. She said to my wife, do what your husband is saying, you know. Then in the end, as I take her to the door, like on the last time that she came, we, we, we set up the payment plan, everything. I took care of all my taxes, everything. I took her to the door. And she goes like this. Now I understand. I say, what? Why my son loves you? I said, huh? <laughs> she goes, I never told you, but when, when I told her I was coming here to get you, he, go, he goes, mom, that guy is amazing. I love him. He's my hero. And that was the, the son. You know, you're going to meet. Please take a picture with him. She refused. She didn't take a picture. I tried to send video <laughs> to the kids. You know, I, I said, please take this to your son. Believe it. This is not corruption. I'm not trying to buy it. And that was after the whole problem was solved. You know, and she told me this. I said, now I understand why he admires you so much. You know, and then she left. And that was the last time I saw her. I pay all my debt. I took care of everything. My business came back stronger than ever, you know. You know, and it's... We need the, the truth. We it's need like more people you like do, you, brother. You set a good path, my brother. Your life will, will go good. You set a, a path where your ego is bigger than anything else. You're gonna, you, you think you are the star, when in reality, the fighters are the stars. If you create them. Now the guys are retiring at 24. What is this? 24 years old, they're retiring. They're stopping fighting. They fought enough because they make no money. They don't they don't become the rock that's why the rock went back there and did a show for free for them 
went there and let me, let me do a match there. I need to give back what I got. And that's the reality. Well, what is, what, keep, are, what is your take on Ronda Rousey? Now, now she's upset that the WWE fans are not uh, welcoming her. And she's walking away once again. But why they are not welcoming her? I don't know. I, I, I didn't follow this. Yeah, she, I thought she was she, doing very good. No, she gets booed, and now she, she quit. She said, I'm done. I think it's part because, of the act. <laughs> do you think, you think it's part of the act? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I really I, – I don't know how calling, man. I've been busy. I've been – brother, they made me an ambassador of tourism of Brazil. You, you don't understand. Today, I was on the phone at 3 o'clock in the morning because somewhere else in the globe is, is daytime. I was trying to help a country get chlor chloroquine, well, the medicine, the malaria medicine, for them, they can't have access. And the only place that produces is China and India. And the producer in India is a Brazilian guy who owns all the pharmaceutical company there that produces the, 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 the malaria medicine. And I was working my ass off to get this medicine in countries that they, they don't have, you know? And, I've been right now we're working in a test for, for this coronavirus that will cost cents and we can put in America everywhere. So like you can have the supermarket door and you can check yourself right before going in and you're going to find out if you are ever in contact or if you have, it can predict, this test can actually predict, can actually read your, your body just on your saliva. Uh, five days before you show any symptoms of, uh, of coronavirus. So I've been working on like a nut job. And thanks to these amazing students that I had, I'm, you know, they allowed me to, even at this moment, be working to produce something else to help other people that I, you know, even though I, I shouldn't be teaching online only <laughs> to them, you know. But they understand and they support me and they help me. It's because the way that I set the road. You know, it's like, I, I, I actually, what people don't know, I actually charge less for jujitsu today in 2000 than I used to charge in 1996 wow. when I arrived in America. Wow. So that was my goal to be able to bring the price down, even though I have an increase of rent of 3% a year. I increase the salaries of all these structures once I start coming up, making more money. So even though with all those expenses going up, I was still able to bring the jiu-jitsu down. That's why I have 1,500 students, and, you know, and I believe most of them are happy. You've infected more students with love than the coronavirus. That's right. True, true, it's true. <laughs> well, you know, you have such legendary students, you know, Tom DeBlas and John Danner and Ricardo Almeida and Marcus Mera, all of these people that you have taught. And, and and who love you like to death it's ridiculous does, like, does yeah. he know how crazy marcus mara is <laughs> yeah of course yeah he does. of course, of course. <laughs> i reckon I, I i got to the point that i know that i don't run a jiu-jitsu academy i run a mental institute <laughs> no don't think for a moment that i don't know that you know like, but it's it's uh, it's difficult for them I, what happened there i can't they meet that yeah. He's got Harley. He, he's got Harley Flanagan. Harley Flanagan, teach the kids. <laughs> Harley Flanagan, teach the kids. Let's see. What do you want to tell them about? It? Uh, tell oh, me what man. it is. I could run Microsoft. I could run Apple. Like a joke. Everything yep. else would be easy. Yep. You know. So the, the, the reality is, you have to understand people how they are. You have to accept them how they are. And you know, it, it's extremely funny. 
people want you to put you in a box and you have to be like this. No. Hey, uh, uh, hey MadLab. You there, MadLab? What's going on? I, I, uh, yeah, I yeah. once interviewed a guy named Harley Flanagan for when I was on Fuse Television. And I said to Henzo, tell me about Harley Flanagan. And Henzo said, even Charlie Manson has a mother who loves him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god remember that head remember that head it's true it's true <laughs> well I I remember what he used to tell me when he began training with me that he was a musician but it's heavy rock and I funky rock I don't like this kind of music you know I'm a James Taylor kind of guy I'm a you know all these mellow songs I like well, so one day the, the 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 lead singer from uh, from eggs no 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 the lead singer from a very famous band Beatles. oasis jump jump uh, jump the jump song remember oh yeah yeah everlast no not everlast the crisscross jump. no man the blonde guy long hair do, 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 do. Have. Come on, the guy is the. At one time. Oh, oh you're talking about what? Uh, uh, David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth, yes. He used right. to sing on that on that band. The two brothers played. Van Halen. Van Halen. Jump. Jump. Yes, yes, jump. Yeah. So <laughs> one day, David Lee Roth walks into the academy to train jiu-jitsu, and then he looks at me. He goes, "Hanzo," and then he sees Harley. When he sees Harley, he forgets about me, gets in front of Harley, gets on his knees, he start bowing. <laughs> and then he... That's why I'm this way, because of him. He imagine this. I said, God damn, you, you probably were good then. <laughs> <You know? laughs> David Leroth, yes, and he stayed in the academy for like 15 days with us. You know, they they were outside smoking a joint every day, those pricks. <laughs> you know? I only learned this a year later. Only a year later I found that out. Yeah. Well, Harley Flanagan but, is a legend in music. Uh, yeah. He was the guy who brought the punk rock to New York. That's right. At six at sixteen years yeah, old. Sixteen years old. That's exactly right. Yeah. Knew, Anthony Bourdain knew, did a book on him. He knew Blondie, he knew David Byrne, he knew all of those guys at CBGB before anybody else did. It's true, you know? And like, a, oh, I have a, I have it here, look. Uh, uh, hardcore. Uh, you see, this, this book, this book was done, yeah, life on my own, hardcore life on my own. This book was done by Anthony Bourdain, you wow. know? Oh, yeah. Anthony Bourdain met Harley at the Academy, and he goes, man, we have to make a book about you. And then he did. So he's, uh, he's an interesting you know? fellow. Wait, he hey, wait, Henzo. Henzo, we all know how tragic Tony Bourdain's death was. Uh, and I know you, you, you guys became very close after Otavia became uh, a yeah, student. Yeah, great, great. So yeah, how did Anthony Bourdain's death affect you? Brother, we miss him a lot, you know, because Anthony was a very serious guy, very shy, very introverted. 
but every time he came, he would bring light to the academy. You know, he was, you know, he would be there with us, and everybody was happy around him. You know, so this is what I like. It's 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 a it's a funny thing because it's jujitsu is already tough. It's a tough sport. You go in there, you you fighting somebody else. You know, you wrestling somebody else for a submission. You're trying to you give your best to actually try to submit the guy. You know, and I count a lot. I think it's very important souls that come into the place and bring happiness. Because I remember when I was uh, when I was a kid, I I I was 11 years old. I used to sometimes be tired. I said I don't want to go to the academy. Then I remember one guy that I've, he was there every day, and this guy was so funny and he joke and he make fun and he he would dance. He would do funny things and he would make pleasant so i go oh, but it's i said i don't want to train today i'm tired i could be here at home just watching tv but i go oh, but but that motherfucker's gonna be there and he's gonna be there and he probably gonna have new jokes gonna make the place shine i say let me go there to watch him and i end up going there and training you know and i i told him that and i did a i did a show with him recently a live show in brazil with him listening And he would he used to say, "Hey, so I always knew you're gonna be a star on jujitsu." And I go, I said, "I own to you a lot because many times that I didn't want to go to the academy, I remember you will be there." And I said, "Let me go see him." So many times I didn't go to train. I went to watch that amazing soul be himself. You know, so people like that. Anthony was one of those guys. You know, wow. Anthony was one of those amazing souls that every time he was there, he would bring. He would bring a light to the place. He would make the, the place shine even more. And uh, there was one funny story. Like one of my students, he opened a restaurant at 31st Street on the Korean barbecue place. And and I've uh, been there. That's a good. Uh, it's a good restaurant. Have you been there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My wife loves it. Whoa. It's it's the one that has the the, the yeah. Yeah, second floor. Actually, yeah, second floor. The guy trained with us. The guy who opened is my student. Wow! So the guy opened the restaurant. He was very proud. He invited me all the time. I couldn't. I didn't have time to go. Then I go to him. I say, "How's the restaurant doing?" He goes, "I think I'm going to close." I say, "What? Why?" He goes, "We cannot get customers there because there's so many bar uh, Korean barbecues around. We can't get nobody there." I say, "Shit!" You, and we had we had fuel only for a couple months. We don't have money more. Any more money? We're gonna have to close. I say shit. I would look. Anthony was training when he told me that. I go, hey Tony, what are you doing after here? He goes, nothing. I say, do you want to grab a bite? There's an <laughs> amazing Korean barbecue that I told them to close for us. You want to come? He goes, yes. <laughs> Why do I say it was closed? Because there was yeah. nobody there. <laughs> <laughs> So, boy, we go in. We go to the restaurant. The guy set up the unbelievable service. They bring, I remember, it was the first time that I've seen the Japanese whiskey. Anthony was drinking Japanese whiskey. We're sitting there. I was having a beer, actually. I don't drink whiskey. That tastes too, tastes too bad, you know? When we finish, when we finish, we're walking out. I go, Anthony. 
wasn't this the best Korean barbecue you ever had in your life? They go, the best? I say, yes, the best in your life. <laughs> and then he goes, yes, it was the best. <laughs> we, walked, we walked out of there. We walked out of there. Anthony put on his blog. I just had the best Korean barbecue in my whole life. In my, this is amazing. And then he put the address, put the location, put everything. Wow. A week later, I go back there, no table to sit. <laughs> amazing. The place is, it's booked for the whole month, right? I go back to the guy, I say, man, what the fuck? <laughs> Before, I couldn't get a table easy. Now, I want to eat. There's no table. They send me away. They completely ignore me, right? The guy said, hey, I'm sorry. Next time you go there, anytime you go there, don't call, don't make reservations. Just go there and point at a picture behind the woman who tell you that you cannot see. I said, okay. When I get there, the next time, the place is packed. There's no table. I go talk to the woman, the woman goes, do you have a reservation? Not even looking at me. I go and point my finger like this. Oof. There was my picture, Anthony Bourdain's picture, and Nika. Nika is the manager of the, the, oh, of the Brooklyn right. Academy. Yeah, no, he was the manager of the Brooklyn Academy. Okay, yep. Who lived, he was roommates with the guy who owned the restaurant. Wow. So there was uh, three pictures behind the management. So when she say, I pointed, she goes, oh, I'm sorry. One second. They got a <laughs> table. They brought a table, put it for us. And, and I remember they put the Japanese whisk bottle on the table. That day nobody drink because Anthony <laughs> wasn't there. But, you know. <laughs> That's amazing, man. That's the grace yeah. of love. Yes. Oh, my God. It's amazing. That's jiu-jitsu, when I was inducted to the uh, New Jersey Martial Arts Hall of Fame, Doug Lee, Doug Lee is a, he's a police officer in the, I think the four precinct, which is the West Village, but he's a student in Brooklyn. He's a uh, Muay Thai student in Brooklyn. Yes. You know, Doug, he's a, he's great a guy, Chinese guy. Yeah. Great, great guy and good fighter. And, uh, you know, I just love, I love Joe Sampieri. Mr. Sampieri. Great teacher. Great teacher. Yes. All those guys, Jamie, all the guys. Oh, Jamie. Have. Jamie's great. And Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike and PJ. Yeah. Mike, yeah. And PJ. You know, the, the beauty, the beauty of what we have is that if you are if you are an asshole, you must stay. You don't yeah. stay there. That's right. You, know, you can you you know, the, the people there are amazing. The quality of teaching, the quality of uh, of companionship, of friendship that you're building there. It's friends for life. It's like you you're not going in there to learn jujitsu. Every time learning, I, every yeah. every every time I go back to Muay Thai class, they always say to me, Mike, this is your home. Yes. Welcome yes. home. Yeah. It's a funny thing, like I like Guy Ritchie, the director. Guy Ritchie was my student for ten years. Oh wow. He got to Brown Belt. Yeah. That's why you see all the jujitsu. I just watched the gentleman that did you see the guys fighting jujitsu on? Yes. If you guys watched the movie, yeah, I did. You'll be able to see it. Like a Sherlock Holmes, he put uh, 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 what's his name, Junior or uh, Anthony Junior, uh, Robert Downey, 
Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., yes. Yeah. He, he put him doing jiu-jitsu. I was in the set here in New York, in Brooklyn. He tried to choke me. And I, was, I wasn't looking who that was. I just hide my neck. And, and then he, he walks up. He goes, whoa, everybody else that I do, it's very easy. But on him, I didn't feel I had it. <laughs> and then I looked. And that was him. Amazing. But that shows the sensibility. He goes, on everybody else that I try, it worked. But on him. And he didn't see me coming. He came from behind and went to put a choke, and he couldn't do it, you know? But it, it's, it's a funny thing. Guy Rich got to the brown belt. Then he moved to England. He was living in England. He stopped coming to New York, divorced Madonna. So the whole thing going, he was a brown belt for eight years. Eight years. And many people, because he never stopped training. He's in London training with my cousins. They teach at his house. He has mats at home. You know, they go at his house to train. And for eight years, many people tried to give him a black belt. He told me one time he had, he knew they were setting up to give him a black belt. And he went to the bathroom, jumped to the window and left. <laughs> because he goes, I can only accept this black belt from Hansel, nobody else. You know? So the next time that he stepped in New York was eight years later. I gave him the black belt. So it was the, was the, was on the, Red carpet was on the, 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 the preview of the, the, A Man From Uncle. That's when I met the Superman. That's too, a great uh, movie. Yeah, Henry Cavill. I met Henry Cavill. So I was, I was on, the, on the premiere of that movie, and that's when I gave him the belt. Dude, so for the whole so time, cool. he, he was in a suit with a tie and a black belt <laughs> on his waist. Jiu-Jitsu wins and again. Bet, yeah, yeah. And I bet all the actors are thinking, oh, maybe this is a... A new fad or something. <laughs> well, Henry Henry <laughs> Henry Cavill was my favorite Superman. Like I think he was like Yeah, he's the best. Wasn't and he? Let the me best, tell you like... one thing. Yes, Henry Cavill bought a house in Miami, right? So he's he he was living here for a long time. I think he's now back and forward, but he was living here for a long time. Henry Cavill finds out that in his town there's a House of Grace Academy. Right? And Stan back. Remember Stan? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's now in Utah. He just opened Hills of Grace, Utah, there too. Harry Cavill calls the academy and asks, is this a Hills of Grace Academy? He goes, yes, it is. I'm a Hills of Grace student. If it, it's okay if I come and help uh, the kids' class. I'd like to help the kids' class. And I say, of course. You have a student to come to help the kids' class. So he goes at the kids' class dressed as a superman. Oh, my gosh. So you imagine this. To help oh, that's the amazing. Kids class. Yeah. You know, amazing souls, man. So this, how can I be unhappy one moment it, in my life? Dude, you know, you walk me, what, what am I, walk me inside the cage. One of my favorite quotes of Hanzo Gracie, uh -huh. one of my favorite quotes of you was when you said, Mike, you're born and then you die and everything in between is negotiable. That's it. The <laughs> only certainty, the only certainty you have in life is that you're going to die. The middle is what is important, and this is negotiable. Have, it's how you negotiate. Have you read a book? You know? What book? No, not, I, I didn't have time. I didn't have time to write a book yet. Oh. But I will. I, I did Jiu-Jitsu book, which is Positions and Things. was the number one martial arts book so That's right. in the world. We need, yeah, we need the stories, in many though. many years in the Hen Amazon. Henzo, I, I, Henzo I, I will write the book for you. We have to. <laughs> 
I will write the book for you. You you just yeah. tell the stories and I'll type I it. I would love. I would love to have a book written by you. Believe it. No, I, no, Please. you write the I, book. I'll just type it. You you're gonna write it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna type it. I can change the ink. It, I can change the ink. It's 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 a funny thing because I always think I have to begin writing a book. It's so many for you to have an idea. There was a few Kira's father, my niece's father, uh, came to visit me, him and his brother. And they came to say, hey, so let's sit here to have a beer in this place. I went with them to have a beer and grab a snack. And then they start telling me stories. And then they begin telling me the stories, stories that I forgot. The stories that I was 16 years old, 17, 18. They participate a lot in my life from 15, 16 to until I was 21. So on that period, then they start telling me the story, start remembering and say, holy shit, I have to sit down and write this down because I forgot all of those. But they never forgot because that period that we lived together, that we were together as a friend, like seeing each other day by day, they saw episodes. They go, I can't believe you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, man, it's true. That's because all the blood. So I have. I have to sit down. Yeah, I have to sit down and do it. For sure. 16 right. to 21, well, all the blood goes from your head to somewhere else. Yes, yes, yes. It's you can still, only have blood from one Ike, of the heads. Ike, it still does. <laughs> Ike, it still, it still goes down to the other head. It, that's a just... little slow, a little slower, though. <laughs> believe. Well, speak for yourself. You see, the other day, the other day, I was talking to Robinson, my brother, who's, I believe he's, he's 30 or something like that. And my ne my nephew Naaman, who's probably oh. same age. Yeah, no, he's amazing. I, he was Naaman, a sensei of oh, one of the classes I took in the city. Yeah, Naaman's a great he's fighter. He's a good yeah. fighter, really good fighter. So, sweetheart, I, I, sweetheart. I was on this. I was on this group. I was on this group, and 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 he, they ask each other, "Do you still wake up with an erection in the morning?" <laughs> you know, like, well, and then the other one goes, "No, I don't." Can you? This fucking shit is strange. Like we're getting older, you know? That's how they talk. I go, I'm sorry, guys, but I do. <laughs> you know, I put it on the bar. I'm sorry, kids, but I still do. <laughs> Even uh, that is how you see life, you know? Well, stop seeing the problem. These kids, they, the other day, my daughter came and took a picture. Dad, your first gray hair. I had a gray hair right here, right? Oh, your first gray hair. Let me, I said, take a picture, take a picture. She took a picture. And I was all happy. She posted on the on the on the on the oh shit on the Instagram, and I was happy. I said, finally, my gray hair has arrived. The next day, I go to my daughter. Please, I, I cannot find the gray hair. Show me here. She goes, Dad. There was my gray hair. I said, what? I took it out and put it on you. So. <laughs> I go, what? She goes, yes, I took my gray hair, I put it on you, and I say it was yours. How are we gonna find a gray hair on you? I can't, you don't have it. I say, shit. Shit, you can you take gray hair out of my beard. I see, look at mine. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing well, at all. I don't all. know why, yeah. Because you're, because you're Brazilian. Brazilians don't get gray, apparently. <laughs> a lot of my, all my friends, all gray, man, all, all the people that grew up with me. I believe it's my craziness, you know? Remember when I went to fight Militich? I'm, I'm right on the corridor to walk into the cage. The whole crowd, I'm fighting him in Iowa, his hometown. 
the whole crowd was going, wow. USA, wow. USA, USA. And I'm, I get very happy and I look at Luca. Luca's next to me and I go, how did they find out? <laughs> and, Luca, and Luca goes, what? And I became a citizen last week. A week before, I became a USA citizen. Wait, Luca, so in my head, wait, wait, you're talking about Luca Italia, right? Luca Italia? Luca goes, yeah, oh. yeah, Luca Italia. Yeah, Luca Italia. Love him. Yeah, he, he goes, are you joking? <laughs> I go, joking about what? <laughs> I was serious. Because that's how I see life. I say, you have to root for the good guy. And I was the good guy. <laughs> There's something wrong if you're rooting for the bad guy. You wait. might have. What, one thing I'll, I'll give to Pat Militich that night was after you choked him out, he said to you, what did I do wrong? Yes. Wow, it's, that's cool. It's a funny thing because yep. how this whole fight, yeah, the whole yep. fight, how it happened. I, I, his coach called me. His, uh, his manager called me. Money, Money and Cox. Said, yeah, it's Monty Cox called me and goes, hey, you know, I put a fight to you and Pat. I said, brother, I don't want to fight Pat. What? No one. I'm not even training. I'm not doing nothing. Let's get Pat someone that he can trade blows with. He's going to knock the guy out. Uh, he, he's an amazing stand-up fighter, you know. But no, not me. But why, man? He would he dream to fight Gracie, and he believes you are the best one. He'd like to fight you. I said, Mont, let me be honest. If I fight him, I'll beat him easy. I don't want to do it. And they look at me like I'm being cocky. Yeah. Not, it's not cockiness. It's, I'm, I was his teacher. There is something called, in fighting, what people don't realize, there is something called moral. If you have the moral of becoming, of being, believing in yourself and being superior, you, you will give a hell of a fight to anyone. Believe, you let a lion go inside here now and attack me, I doubt that motherfucker will have the marks of my bite on him. I love because that. Because I'm biting him back. So this is the reality. You know, it's going to be the toughest meal he ever had. <laughs> you know? And I'll do it with a smile in my face. You know? So the, the, the reality, it's like the younger brother. It's like your younger brother trying to take your pillow when it's time to sleep. He's not taking. He's going to be 40. If you are 42, 41, you are keeping your pillow. He's not taking your pillow. Because in, in, the, in, the, in the chain, you are higher than him. So when you see things like this, like my students, I don't see how any of my students beat me up. You know, all Enzo. the knowledge that they carry, even Enzo. when they become tough, when they come, they come in. And I, I did that, my older brothers, my cousins, I had the same reaction to them. Even though when I became extremely good and I could beat them, I still let them win. On, a, on a much smaller scale, when I was in my 20s, I was a, a national Taekwondo champion and I taught Taekwondo at a place called Dolphin Fitness on 59th Street and 1st Avenue in New York City. And some guy comes in and he goes, oh, you might be good at Taekwondo, but I'm, I'm a wrestler. I said, okay, you want to wrestle? And I beat the shit out of this guy. And I said, don't ever challenge me in front of my students ever again. That's it. Ever That's it. again. I That's beat it. his ass. Yeah. I pinned him in like not even 25 seconds. Because, I yeah, you are in a, look, in a place the guy comes to make you look small. Yeah. You know, to yeah. put you down. I said, you, you, you challenge me in front of my yeah. students? Are you yeah. out of your fucking mind? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, and, 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 and he was like, he, he was surprised. And I thought to myself, you know, in another place, another time, you might beat me, but not in front of my students. Yeah. Not in my, what I teach, the place that I pass the knowledge. Yep. You can't do it. It's, it's yep. true. Believe it. That happened to me many times. Many, many times. And uh, oh, I, you know? I believe it. I believe it. Do you believe that Kron, is it Kron or Kron? Kron, Kron. Kron, Kron, yeah. I love, I love just don't, call, just don't call him Corona. <laughs> <laughs> We're a oh crazy family, crazy. That kid is amazing. I was going to ask, man. So an amazing fighter, unbelievable technician. You know, it's, it's like every time he fights, man, I don't blink. I sit down and watch what an amazing heart. He's a brave, brave fighter. He, a, he reminds a, me like. proud to have him in the family i haven't like dove in a like a fighter's like interviews and his styles and his mentalities like early mcgregor like the humble martial yes, artist yes. early this is like amazing uh, amazing kid crone reminds amazing me of that kid, yeah do you, yeah do you believe and he'll a, be a, a true a martial arts i believe so me too. i believe he has all the tools yes me too he has all the tools what was your thoughts about the Cub Swanson fight? Because he didn't really shoot for a takedown. He like he was kind of like Nate Diaz. He was like just boxing. Yeah, it's, it's I believe it's what happened is you that that those matches are learning process. Yeah, you know, look at my last fight. I fought at fifty one years old. I beat um, forgot his name, man. I'm, I I forget every person's name. I forget relatives' <laughs> names. I think if I keep the names, I forget the jiu-jitsu move. That's what I mean. I forgot uh, Kondo, Yuki Kondo. Yuki Kondo was one of the best fights. He beat Smart Sperry. He beat Saulo Ribeiro. He beat a lot of jiu-jitsu guys. He had over 110 fights. I go in. You know how many times I spar before I fought him? Zero. I didn't have one sparring session. Wow. I go in there. I told them. I told my brother Half and, and the guys that were there with me what I was going to do. And I remember he goes, oh, what are you now, a psychic? You can see the future? How the fight's going to I said, the fight's going to go like this. I'm going to shoot like this. I'm going to take him down like this. And then I'm going to submit him. You out of your mind. I went in. I did exactly what I told them. You know? And the reality is because it's a learning experience. So Kron, everybody was saying that Kron couldn't stand up with him, that he would get knocked out. So he was hearing that over and over Unfortunately, today, information comes to you a lot through this little thing that we are using right now, the phone. So constantly, he's reading about himself and what people thinking that is going to happen. If you fight standing, he's going to knock you out. You're going to be, a, you know. So he went in there proving them wrong. That's the reality. He, not, even, not even he knows that. You know, it's going to take him a while. There was a very, there was a very... And it's difficult to understand. That's why you need to look for coaches. You need to look for people who have been there, who learn it from a past experience. You know, every time I see an older person I love, I have friends. They're nine years old. Hey, my oh, at least your grandson. O vovô tá fazendo entrevista. Não pode falar, não, tá? Oh, look. This, my hell, hell's beginning now. <laughs> Get on the trampoline. Get on the trampoline. Now it doesn't stop. Clara, get get Roman here. He won't stop. All right, we'll let you go, Hanzo. Yeah, yeah. But but listen to this. Let me tell you just one last story. Okay. 
I'm I'm with no uh, filho, para um minuto. I'm with uh, I'm in a fight. Fabio Leopoldo is fighting the IFL. Back then was in the ring, right? Oh yeah, I know him. So yeah, he was fighting one of the best wrestlers from Militech team. Ryan, I forgot his last name. Ryan something. Amazing wrestler. The guy was a tough enemy fighter, beat everybody he fought. He was a tough guy. So Fabio is fighting him. Already two rounds is done. They were in the last round. So he comes down, sits on the bench. He he's not able to get the guy near any danger. The guy was able to avoid everything. So then I go to him, I go in and say, now you both the tires, Jiu-Jitsu gonna make the difference, you're gonna submit him, jump in there, do this. Suddenly the guys they ring the 10 second bell boom, to let you know that you, you have to get out. When they run the bell, I jump out of the ring, put my hand on his butt, and push him off. I shovel him up from the seat. You know? Ryan Delph. Boom. Ryan Delph. Ryan Delph. Yes, Ryan Delph. I push Fabio Leopoldo's butt from the seat. A boom. He stood up. He went in, began the fight. He scrambled. He submit the guy with a leg lock, with a knee bar. We get up, we celebrate, he comes in my ear, he goes in my ear, he goes like this. How did you know that I was needing that push in my butt? I couldn't get up. I go, my brother, I've been there 20 years ago, and there was nobody to push my butt up. (laughs) And I knew that that could, the effort to just stand up, could make the whole difference between winning a fight and losing a fight. Wow. You know, and Fabio Leopoldo submitted him that day, you know? He was able to submit him that day, you know? It was and Ryan, that was... Ryan, yeah. the, Ryan the Titan. Yes. Tough guy. Tough. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> Amazing, Henzo. Amazing. All right. Well, Henzo, we'll guys, let you go. Thank you so much for coming on, man. We thank appreciate you. it. Pleasure to be here with you guys. I, I love, love you, my brother. Put you... Now I have your number. I'm going to be bothering you all the time. Okay. <laughs> and anytime you drive by, stop by. You okay. know, knock at the door. All right. Take care, guys. All right, Henzo. Ah. Take care, brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.